Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. I'm Kim Thompson Pinder, the extraordinary word ninja and founder of RTI Publishing, where we work with you to ghostwrite and publish your signature book that will double your business by attracting clientele and position you as the go-to expert in your niche. Next, we will show you how to use your book to make lead generation and conversion a snap while building an audience. My guests include professionals, entrepreneurs, and coaches who use their skills to build people powerfully. They will share their story and powerful tips that will help you live better. They will also share their writing journey and how it has impacted their life and the lives of their readers. If you've ever wondered if writing a book makes a difference, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today I am so thrilled to have Mark on the show. Now, Mark and I met a few months ago, and immediately um, I just sensed this synergy with Mark. You know, we, we felt a lot about the same things the same way, and he was so generous to invite me on his My Favorite Mistake podcast. And so I was so excited and I said, okay, Mark, you've got to be on the Author to Authority podcast. So Mark is the author of the award-winning book, Lean Hospitals, Improving Quality, Patient Safety, and Employee Engagement. Now, from all that, you wouldn't expect the podcast, my favorite mistake, but there's more. Mark is also the co-author of Joe Swartz of Healthcare Kaizen, and hopefully I said that properly. Yep, you got it. Engaging Frontline Staff in Sustainable Continuous Improvements. And probably the favorite book, which we're going to focus in on today, is Measures of Success. React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. And he serves as a consultant to organizations through his company, Constancy, Inc., and also through the firm Value Capture. He's also the senior advisor to the technology company, Kai Nexus. And he has focused on healthcare improvements since 2005. But what I love about Mark is even though he's worked in all of these corporates, he's got this massive wealth of entrepreneurial experience on top of it. So, Mark, I am so glad to have you on the show today. Well, thank you, Kim. It's a very, uh, very kind introduction on your part. So thank you again for the chance to be here. So, Mark, you've got a lot of experience in publishing. So that's actually what we're going to be talking about today is going from a traditional publisher to self-publishing. But before we get into that, Mark, why don't you share a bit of your story and your journey with us? Well, sure. Um, I have always enjoyed writing. Uh, I was growing up, like I loved baseball. A friend of mine in elementary school, one of my best friends, his dad was a professional baseball writer who got to travel with the Detroit Tigers. And so that was, I thought that was a dream job. And, you know, I think I was a good writer. I was always a newspaper geek. Like I would read not just the sports page, but I, or the comics, I would read, I think most of the Detroit free press every day. And I was editor of uh, the high school newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so I was very involved in that, but I ended up pursuing, you know, with some, I think, friendly coaxing from uh, my father to, uh, to pursue engineering. And, uh, you know, starting a career as an engineer, I mean, I learned that those writing skills and we're, we're, we're going to be very helpful in different ways, writing at work. Uh, when I was working for 
manufacturing company back in 2004, I started a blog that I still um, am active with today. Uh, six, had its 16th birthday in January. And so I was blogging and it was, you know, to share articles instead of emailing people. I thought, well, let me just throw it out on a blog. And I, you know, managed to grow that. And I started podcasting in, in a year later in 2006, um, a, focused on that methodology um, that we call lean that comes from the Toyota production system. But from blogging, and then I, I, my career took a shift into healthcare. And a couple of years in, I had accumulated experience. I was writing blog posts. I was writing articles. And there was a publisher, a very, you know, kind of part of, the one, part of one of the large publishing houses. It was kind of an interesting situation that I ended up in where somebody, an editor, an acquisition editor, actually contacted me. And they that said- That does not happen very often. Oh, and- <laughs> Um, it hasn't happened since. So uh, they, they said, we're looking for someone to write an introductory book about lean methodology applied to hospitals. And I was referred to them by somebody else who maybe was their first choice to write the book, but he said, no, Mark is a, a good blogger. You should talk to him. So, um, you know, as I've learned now, sometimes people take blog posts and repackage them into a book. And a lot of times that makes sense. Um, but for me, that opportunity to write uh, was, I wrote fresh material for, uh, for that book, um, Lean Hospitals. For some reason, I had the second edition of it handy. Um, that book has done well enough. Uh, the latest edition is the third edition that came out five years ago. So, um, you know, kind of went from wanting to be a writer, doing technical work, doing work in organizations and, oh, okay, those, the writing skills and, um, yeah, I enjoy writing. So that ended up presenting itself as that opportunity to write a book, to fill a niche that the publisher um, saw as an opportunity. So yeah, that was kind of rare. Um, so I, you know, uh, I empathize for anyone who has a book proposal or a manuscript, and, and I know it can be tough to shop something around and try to figure that out. Um, but now, you know, 15, almost 15 years after doing that first one, the world has opened up. We don't have to rely on a publisher. We can find partners to work with, and we can publish very professionally um, on our own. That is awesome. So I know that you came prepared today um, to talk about going from a traditional publisher to self-publishing. But let me just ask you one question before we do that. Yeah. So you, here you are, you're writing this first book. What was that like? Was it hard? Was it difficult? Did you have guidance? You know, um, did the publishing company come alongside you? Like, how did that work? So I was very surprised that the publisher stance was basically mail us the book when you're done. Ooh. And, and going back then, like literally, I think they, I think at some point I emailed them word documents, but I do remember a lot of paper being mailed back and forth. And this was like 2008. Right. So that seemed a little backward, but that's not nice, but that's how I felt about it. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, they, they said basically give us the book when you're done. Um, so when I, at the time, I was an employee at Johnson & Johnson. There was a consulting group that did work with hospitals. And so kind of the arrangement with Johnson & Johnson as my employer was, well, we won't say no to this. You, you can write the book. Um, you know, of course, you're going to do so outside of work hours, which meant evenings in a hotel room 
you know, when I'm on the road as a consultant back uh, before the pandemic, you know, um, I'm not one to just sit and watch TV or movies hours on end. So you have time in the hotel room and, and I would do writing or I, I would write on the weekends. And I remember my wife, there were two things that were helpful. She, she asked me, cause I, I grew up, you know, like just, you, you mow your own yard and I would do that on the weekend. And one day she said, you know, why are you mowing our yard? You could hire someone to mow the yard and you could spend that time writing. I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. So wow, I that's mowed, a cool wife. I haven't <laughs> mowed the yard since. But then the other thing, and some people might say, oh, not as cool. She did, she did really suggest, all right, you, you know, you got to decide what's important. Um, how much football are you going to watch on Saturdays and oh. Sundays? And again, look, and this was my, this was my choice, you know, realizing, yes, I need to buckle down. Um, I watched the game of my alma mater, Northwestern University, and then really nothing else, no NFL. Like, unless I had really made a lot of progress. That was your treat. That was, that was maybe part of my treat. So, you know, writing as an employee, sometimes, you know, there's complicated, there, there's the complication of intellectual property where, and I have no ill will against J&J about this, but since, so my advice to anybody who is a full-time employee is to be a little cautious about, writing or creating because J and J I took the stance like a lot of companies that says, basically we own the intellectual property of anything you think of any time of the day, any time of the week. And so, you know, there was, there were, there was um, synergy. I, I mean, it was a partnership with J and J where they allowed me to use case examples from my work and from colleagues and from clients. And, you know, they, they allowed me to have my name on the cover, which was the most valuable asset in the whole thing. So in that first edition, the copyright says copyright Johnson and Johnson, mm-hmm. the royalties from the book were going to Johnson and Johnson. But again, before anyone, you know, feels bad about it, like J&J recognized me for the book. I got a bonus from the company, a rec- an achievement recognition bonus that might have been more than the royalties that came in. <laughs> And then, you know, just uh, I, when I left J&J, I had an opportunity. The publisher asked, well, would you like to do an updated second edition? It's been three or so years. And the book is selling well, but we, we invite you to do a second edition. And so I went back to J&J and, and they were very nice. And they said, well, you're not an employee anymore, right? And I said, no. And I said, well, okay, the, the rights for this are going to go to you. Nice. So yeah, they could have. They could have. Yeah, I mean, but I think, you know, to a big corporation like that, the book royalties, even though the book has done well, I think those book royalties were rounding error compared to their bigger business. And so, I, I, again, like I, I didn't at all feel mistreated. Yeah, and, and I do appreciate that for the second and the third edition, the books and the copyrights in my name now, and those royalties flow through to me. Nice. Okay, so... Talk to us a bit about going from a traditional publisher to Mm -hmm. self-publishing because you have written several books over the years. So Mm -hmm. talk about that and and your experiences and and what knowledge did you gain from that that, Mm -hmm. you know, will help our audience Mm -hmm. of people, probably some of them who are considering writing their own books. Yeah. Well, so one one other thing I just want to come back to you had asked about the work along the way. Um, Again, the publisher didn't provide... Um, support during the writing. Um, J&J was kind enough to hire an editor to work with me along the way. Wow. Somebody who had done marketing work with their group. Um, not just copy editing, but like she knew enough about the content, but she wasn't so much of an expert. Like she could read it as 
like somebody, this is a, a, a 101 book for somebody who's new to this topic. She could test for readability. Yes. And so I would say the, the biggest compliment I ever get as an author is when someone says, that book was really easy to read. Mm, yes. And like, yes. A lot of work to, I think, get it that way. They're not saying you dumbed it down or that it was simple, but easy to read, taking a complex topic and making it easy to read. Um, and, and, you know, so an editor, um, uh, Cheryl, who I worked with was, uh, was a big help, but you know, there are pros and cons to working with a publisher. Um, I felt like they, well, the, the fact was, you know, they were outsourcing many of the functions, mm. uh, as they, the, this publishing house is getting acquired by progressively larger companies. And, you know, I started questioning like for, for getting a 15% author royalty, and that was pretty good, though, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I've heard fifteen percent is like the best you'll ever get from a traditional publisher. It's fifteen percent of cover price. But the fact is, the publisher takes three times as much. Like you know, they they get forty five percent of the cover price by the time the retailer takes their piece, and if if it's selling through a retailer. And so I started questioning, like, well, and and, and there's a certain loss of ownership mm-hmm. about sometimes the cover design, the title. The pricing, that was the biggest thing I started getting concerned about where I thought the pricing was higher than it should have been. And the publisher was out of a sense of like, I think habit or obligation, literally raising the price of the book three or $4 every year. Mm. And so I have have an MBA and I I think I understand enough about economics. And I'm like, that book isn't becoming, like there's not that much inflation and the book isn't becoming more valuable because it's older. It's not a fine wine. Like if anything, the, the, the price should be dropped a little bit mm. over time, or at least keep it, at least the keep same. it steady. And so then I, I started pursuing self-publishing because frankly, you can maintain all creative control and all business control for better or for worse. And you can hire contractors, you can partner with people, um, you can have someone serve as the general contractor, if you will, who finds really good, talented subcontractors to do, you know, and I I ended up being my own general contractor, basically, but to hire someone to do cover design and to hire an editor and to hire someone to help with graphics. And I hired a freelance marketing person to write the Amazon book description Mm -hmm. in a way that I thought might be more compelling like marketing writing, I think is different than book writing. And yeah. I think as an author, you get to inside your own book, you oh, get yeah. to inside your own head. So having somebody who was a marketing person interview me about the book, read the book and distill it into, here's what I think would be compelling to a potential buyer. You know, I decided I could do all those things myself. Um, you can, you know, so the, the first book I did that way was an anthology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Practicing Lean. So I wrote two chapters. I had 15 other authors. So, you know, uh, this book was almost all text. It was a relatively simple uh, approach, but, you know, this book is available on Amazon. Um, it's available in Kindle format. And you know, I, I, think it, it, I think it looks, uh, it looks totally fine. Um, my, my more recent book, Measures of Success, is a much more complex layout because there are 120 different figures. And it's a book about charting business metrics. So just I'll try to hold up a page like there, there are many Ooh. charts and, and graphics. And then, and because, you know, sort of talk about the downsides of color coding metrics. And I, I thought it made sense to do a full color book. Mm, yes. So 
doing that for things. It changes the economics of it. Um, so doing a full color Kindle book, not a big deal. Um, I did hire a company that did serve basically as general contractor for doing the paperback. Mm-hmm. So I, I took sort of an unusual approach. I published the Kindle version first. Yes. Because I could do that technically speaking on my own. And then thinking as an entrepreneur, like if I put the book out there and nobody bought the Kindle book, why spend money creating a paperback? Was, that was my thought process. And the Kindle book did sell and people did reach out and ask, well, why isn't it, why is it not available as a paperback? And so I took that as some market signals that it was worth, you know, investing in, in producing this. And I, I would put it up against any book from a traditional publisher in terms of the look and the design. But, um, you know, there, there are many, many advantages, I think, of um, kind of going this, this route of um, self-publishing. I'm happy to until I'm, I'm, I'll go on and on about this. Uh, I'll take a pause. I'm happy to talk about pros and cons or explore other elements, but I think I'm squarely now in the camp of, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing and able to make that upfront investment. Like the one advantage, if you work through a traditional publisher, all you're investing is time and sweat equity to get started. The publisher is taking the financial risk of bringing the book to market. Mm-hmm. But um, there, there are, I think, are many advantages to going the self-publishing, thinking of the book as a startup yeah. kind of route. Well, just a couple of things. You know, one of the things that I teach um, or I tell my clients, you know, with RTA Publishing, I don't take any royalties mm-hmm. and I hold no copyrights. Mm-hmm. to my clients' books. And there's a very specific reason for that. You know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're writing this book to promote your business, to promote you, to position you, you know, first of all, you need to have complete control over it. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to do with that book what you need to do with that book, right? And the other thing is, is I don't think it's really fair, you know, because my job is to create the book. Mm-hmm. I don't do a lot of marketing, though I do do a lot of advising, but I don't do marketing. So for me, I don't take any royalties either. Mm -hmm. You pay me to create the book, Mm -hmm. you know, but after that, it's like the book is yours. Do with it what you need to do with it. But something else, and you you talked about creating the paperback later, you know, there's a saying that paper's dead. Well, paper's not Mm -hmm. dead. Oh, no. And one of the things I learned through publishing paperback and Kindle is I sell less paperback books than I do Kindle books, mm-hmm. but I would make way more profit on that paperback book than I do the Kindle book. Oh. Well, you think of it, you know, your, most of your Kindle books are priced $2.99 to $9.99 mm-hmm. to hit that Amazon right. 70%, because if you price it outside of that, you only get 35%. Right. So, you know, you, you, I mean, unless you're a really big person right. selling thousands of copies, you sell it in that $2.99, $9.99. So you don't, make a lot, but you sell more books. Yeah. But I found that my paperback books, you know, I'm probably making, I'm probably, you know, Amazon probably takes three to $6 somewhere mm-hmm. in there, usually for each book. And then, you know, I can price it whatever I want on top of that. Right. right. So if I'm pricing at $15.95, $19.95, $24.95, which are common prices, you know, I'm making a lot more profit on that, on that paperback book. So. Yeah. Well, so one lesson, I mean, I think in the future, I will do black and white books. And I think yes. whatever the next book is will be mostly text because yeah, I'm happy to, if, if it's all right, talk about some of the economics of, sure. of my book. And so for one, um, 
one, one thing I, I'm unhappy with former publisher about is that they want to sell, you know, they, they try selling, um, you know, paperback book, black and white paperback book for, you know, $50. And then they want to charge almost the same amount for a Kindle book. And like, I know from self-publishing, the cost to print that book is probably $5. Mm-hmm. And so the margin is, is huge to try to sell it for 50. So when I did, I did, you know, this paperback book, it's roughly 250 pages. So it's a fairly good size, not enormous, but not tiny book. I could get them printed through Amazon mm-hmm. or through Ingram Spark, or it's actually an and. Yeah. So I decided for Amazon to sell them, even though Amazon's stated printing price is $20. Yes. Ingram Spark, it's about 11 so here's a lesson I learned. I decided that the path of least resistance for Amazon to sell the book and never be out of stock was to just let Amazon print them and say, okay, fine. So then I priced it at $39.95, but then Amazon, and I don't know if they're more likely to do this with books they print. I don't know their algorithms. They quite frequently discount it to $28, which comes out of their margin. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It comes out of their margin, not yours. Yeah. And so (laughs) if I was having the books flow through um, Ingram spark as the printer, and I would probably set a cover price closer to Mm -hmm. $29.95. I don't know how Amazon, you know, I don't know how Amazon would have discounted it. So the the one lesson learned is like, so if I ever get a bulk order, or I'm going to order copies to give away or sell signed copies. I order them through Ingram Spark at $11 a copy. The print quality is virtually indistinguishable from Amazon. Okay. I've looked, I've looked at both side so, by side. So, it, so you've gone into your back office, though, the KDP back off. Oh, yeah, but because it's color. I was going to say yeah. that's really high, but it's because yes, it's the because color. because it's color. The pricing, the black and white quotes I've gotten on different books, it's almost exactly the same between Amazon and Ingram Spark. But um, Amazon's doing some betas with color printing, and it has to be a new book to participate in that. So I don't know if I'd have to do a second edition to play with that. But, you know, so um, I, I, you know, my, if, if I'd done this book through a publisher, full color, they'd probably want to charge $75 for it. So now when I think as an entrepreneur, my business model is not from making money on book royalties. To me, the book is a calling card. It's an entree to possible teaching and consulting or speaking. I want more people getting this book. I'm happy to take almost zero margin on the book. Now, like with the Kindle book, I, I cho- I've priced it most recently at $5.99, where I think I could get away with charging $9.99. I thought if, I, if the price is too low, people might question the quality. Yes. But again, like the Amazon has their thing that shows the charts. Like you will maximize revenue by pricing it here. So uh, I've taken their advice, but I'm really, I'm trying really more to maximize sales than maximize profit. Uh, profit. Yeah. And and you bring up a really good point there. And, you know, the author to authority podcast listeners have heard me say this many times, but I'll, I'll say it again. You know, you nailed it. It's not about the book sales, right? You don't, you don't make your money off of the book sales. You know, even when you yep. get speaking gigs in that and you sell your books, you might make a hundred, a couple hundred here and there, you know, you're, you're going to make some consistent pocket change from your sales off of Amazon you know, but unless, unless you're a big publisher, you've published hundreds of books and lots of different categories and different things, you're never going to make a living off of your book sales. Mm-hmm. But 
you can make a living off of your book sales if you position your book so that people connect and hire you. Yeah. And, and that comes back to the title of, of this podcast. Like for right or wrong, having a book does help position you as an authority. And, you know, I think it, I've, I've had to work to develop, you know, public speaking skills are, I think, a very different skill set than writing. And I think it's interesting. Like, I think it would be a bad assumption to assume somebody who is a writer would be a good speaker. Like, I think there's different skill sets there and you can, people can do both. Most people can't. Yeah. Most people are stronger in one or the other. And you are right. It it is a completely different skill set. I have always been stronger in writing than Mm -hmm. in speaking. And so when I decided that I wanted to include speaking in the things that I did, I went, started out with Toastmasters. Yeah. To increase my speaking ability to match my writing ability. And I think that's something important too, is when you're trying to become that authority, when you're trying to become that expert, there has to be a balance between the two, because unfortunately people judge you by what you're bad at, not by Mm -hmm. what you're good at. So Mm -hmm. if you speak incredibly well, but you write atrocious, right? They're going to judge you by the writing, not by your speaking. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. I found the book um, really having that first book, Lean Hospitals, really opened a lot of doors. Um, It allowed me in part to go from that Johnson and Johnson corporate consulting role to then go work for a smaller organization called the Lean Enterprise Institute, which is very much an authority in um, this this field of uh, lean manufacturing and lean healthcare. And then after it may, you know, that, that time working with them was going to be a limited run of like two years and having the book kind of helped establish me to where I could, as, as they say, I don't understand the origin of the phrase, put out your shingle that says, yeah, I am now a consultant. And I, and I did start my own business and um, having, having the book, I think was a very important part of that. I think that phrase more came out of you know, how doctors were kind of considered an expert. And when they would open their business, they'd put their shingle out. I don't even want to shingle. I think of like a root doctor, Like a sign. Yeah, it was more like a sign, right? But probably about the size of a shingle. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the first one was like, oh, that shingle fell off the roof. Let's make a sign out of it. (laughs) So completely random thing. If you're ever speaking in another country, beware of your idioms. Mm -hmm. Because they won't understand them. Yeah. So if you're working with a translator and you say it's raining cats and dogs and everybody looks up <laughs> into the sky, they don't they you know, they don't understand that it means that it's pouring out like the rain's coming down really hard. So that's just a little hint or tip for, you know, if you ever go speaking in another country is beware of those because yeah. people in other countries don't understand them. There's, there's the idioms, and, and even uh, in England, there are certain idioms and expressions that don't translate well. I've, I had the chance to work over there, and they say, you know, two countries separated by a common language. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so talk a little bit more, just as we're starting to close up here. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like after writing, you know, a few books? What was it like writing and producing and publishing Measures of Success? I know you talked a little bit about it but talk a little bit more about that and that whole that whole time like you know what was kind of the good the bad and the ugly of doing everything yourself 
you know, the book came, uh, you know, it was something I wanted to write for a while. Um, I'd started teaching some workshops around the methods that I ended up writing about in the book. So doing workshops was a really good way to understand what resonated with people, what was difficult to understand, getting feedback and questions. And I think that was incredibly helpful to influence trying to write something that, again, I, I, I love it when someone says, I was a little intimidated by a book that's sort of about statistical management methods, but you made it really easy to understand or it was very readable or whatever. So, but I think a lot of that is trying to put yourself in the shoes of the reader. Yes. What do they know when they're sitting down to read this book? Now, it's not that every reader is going to be the same. So one thing I had to think about the market for this book was writing in a way that was going to be helpful for sort of neophytes to this method. But then also writing, I knew there would be an audience for people who are, if you will, uh, Six Sigma black belts. If you know anything of that phrase or GE made it famous and 30 Rock kind of poked fun at the whole Six Sigma thing. Um, but that, that's a very heavily technical reader who I'm trying to reach in a little bit different way to sort of show maybe here are some ways that you could, some methods you could use to get through to an audience that you might have trouble reaching at work. Yeah. So teaching and getting that feedback because writing otherwise can be a very solitary endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I did, and I would definitely, I would pass along as, as advice, kind of borrowing from the lean startup methodology, like don't sit in a closet or a cave or an office and write for years and years without anyone reading it because it's not perfect yet. Oh, I, I'm going to give you a big high five and an amen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let people read the early drafts. And one of the other things I did with practicing lean and measures of success was a methodology through a company called lean pub, leanpub.com. And in a nutshell, what they do, they, they, they talk about um, in progress publishing. Mm-hmm. So there's a really interesting model there. You can actually put your book up for sale before it's done. It could be just first couple of chapters and people buy it. Clearly it's an electronic book. And then as you add additional chapters and as you get feedback from those early buyers and you make the book better, every time you publish a new update, it's like software. They get a notification. There's a new version. Um, and, And there are some people who don't want to be bothered with that. They say, well, just tell me when the book is done. But some of those early adopters or people who are maybe already fans of your work or are really interested in the topic, um, I think it's really important to get feedback from people who are not friends and family. Yes. Because they'll, they'll teach you in entrepreneurship classes that your friends and family might tell you what they think you want to hear. Yeah, actually, with my author to authority um, book coming out, I, I have an advanced reader team. Mm-hmm. That's not friends, family, not the people I work with, though, you know, obviously my team at RTI Publishing reads it and gives me feedback as well. And they're allowed to be pretty brutal with me and they're always really nice, but I'm like, yeah, you can be brutal. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think, and I think you have to invite that and say, you know, please, I'm not asking you to read it so 20 people can tell me how good it is. I want you to tell me what was unclear, what was confusing, what seemed repetitive. You know, things like that. And sometimes the feedback stings. And then you look and you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, they're right. And sometimes feedback comes in and you say, you know what? No, I just, I disagree with that. Yeah, exactly. Because it's it's still your book. I don't think you can write a book by committee. Like it's your name on the cover. Ultimately, it's your decision, good, bad, or 
um, terrible. But the feedback lets you see things that you you didn't notice before. And that's what's been nice about having this advanced reader group is, mm-hmm. you know, they're not actually commenting a lot on the big stuff. Like the overall feedback is really good from what I've sent them. Like they're loving it. But they're catching a lot of the small stuff. And I'm like, oh mm-hmm. yeah i gotta yeah. fix that right so yeah. and it, it it is great to get feedback and actually that's one of the reasons why i joined toastmasters because in toastmasters you speak and then they give you really great feedback they give you an evaluation that includes what you did well and mm-hmm. usually one or two things to improve on it's not what you did wrong it's just sure. okay here's an idea for you to improve on yeah. Right. Yeah. And I actually have been I've been doing Toastmasters competitions and I oh, wow. just won the second level and I'm going on to the third level. Mm-hmm. Really excited. It's the first time going to the third level for me. And uh, so our last meeting, I did my speech again. I had made some revisions after the contest. I did it again. And then I had the whole club give me feedback and they caught things. And I thought, oh, that's really good. So yeah. now I'm revising the speech again yeah. so that when I go to the next level, you know, it, whether I win or lose doesn't matter to me. I love to win. Mm-hmm. Don't like to lose. Yeah. But I, my self-worth is never based on winning or losing. Yeah, sure. And so I know when I go there... I will have been as prepared as I can be with the best speech that I can. And it's the same way with your book. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one thing, and and you talked about a little bit, but I always tell my clients, you know, done is better than perfect. Yeah. Right. Your book is never going to be perfect. So don't try to make it perfect. Try to make it the best book you can. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. there comes a time when you have to give birth to that baby and let that thing go. (laughs) As I've come to put it, uh, you're never really done with the book. You just decide to stop working on it. Yeah, that's so true. And one other thing I was going to point out, the difference between traditional publishing, at least as I experienced it, and self-publishing, whether it's printed by Amazon or Ingram Spark, on-demand printing is your friend. Yes. Because when the book is out, And there are still, unfortunately, typos and mistakes, even with professional proofreaders. And I'm convinced every single book, even from a traditional major publisher, has an error somewhere. Yep. But then when you get that feedback and somebody points something out, the cycles to get it fixed are almost immediate. Where a traditional publisher would do a printing of a certain large size. Yeah. And they're stuck with those books until they're sold and they decide to print more. So you can you can iterate much more quickly of fixing again, like thinking of the bug the book is software, you fix the bugs. Yeah. And you get the the new version released to both Kindle and uh, to paperback. And I'm at a point now, like there's there's diminishing volume of like it's been a really long time now since somebody has pointed out a typo or an error. Um, there are still things like if I were to do a second edition, there are some things that I could clarify and maybe add to the book and maybe take away from the book. But um, yeah, we, we got most of those bugs squashed over time. But yeah, don't wait for perfection. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Like I, I actually teach a course where I teach people how to format their print books and their Kindle books using Microsoft Word. Mm-hmm. And I actually recommend it as opposed to these complicated softwares. The reason being is it's very easy. 
you can go in, you yeah. can make your changes in Word, fix it all up. If it's a print book, you just save it as a PDF right from Microsoft yeah. Word. You upload yeah. that thing. You can upload your Word doc as your Kindle book. Mm -hmm. And so you can go and make changes. You can upload it. And as long as you haven't changed too much, because if you start messing around with the formatting, the, you know, that's where you get into problems. But if you're just going in, changing a couple words here and there, you don't mess with any of the formatting, you upload it. It's live usually within 24 hours. Yes. But, you know, there was one thing my publisher told me when I had asked about um, even going from what the publisher called final pages, which was like the final PDF that is supposed to be, unless there are any problems, this is how it's going to be printed. Inevitably, there would be, at least at different stages along the way, we fix some problems, new problems would pop up. And, and I asked about, you know, there are different causes of this, but in this fancy, I'm sure super expensive publishing software, page layout software, said, oh, there's no page check, or no, I'm sorry, no spell check built in. I'm like, what? So Microsoft Word at least has spell check. Um, the, the Kindle create tool. Um, yep, it's a really yeah. good tool. Yep. And then when you upload to Amazon, they catch a number, they might catch a number of errors and they're, you know, it's suspected spelling errors. Sometimes they get tripped up by jargon. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mark, I think we're a little over time, but it's been a okay, valuable sorry. conversation. <laughs> Mark, if people have enjoyed this and they want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? How can they get your book? All that kind of wonderful stuff. Yeah, well, thanks, Kim. Um, my website is markgraven.com. Um, so that's got links to the different projects, including podcasts and, and books and speaking and, and things that I do. So yeah, I would just uh, point people there, markgraven.com. My name is short, but it's easily misspelled. So it's, it's Mark with a K. That's usually not the issue. But then G-R-A, B as in boy, A-N, like November. Raven. Awesome. Yeah. And check out his podcast. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the podcast. Um, I, I loved being on the podcast and just the theme of my favorite mistake. There's so much we learn from the mistakes in life. So make sure you go check that out. So Mark, it has been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for sharing of your experiences. And this has been Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you on the very next episode. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Author to Authority podcast. I have a free gift that I would love to give you. Coming out this year, I am releasing my book, Author to Authority. And if you are an entrepreneur, solopreneur, small business owner, professional coach or speaker, and you want to find out how to gain visibility, and how to build your business bigger, stronger, faster, then I recommend that you download a free sample of the Author to Authority book at www.authortoauthority.com forward slash get dash the dash book. It's going to be a great resource for you that teaches the author to authority concept and the six key areas that you build authority in and how you can use a book to do it all faster. So don't forget, get your free copy today.